This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Hey, Renegades. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Allegra Brantley. She's on a mission to lead 1 million women to 1 million in net worth as the founder and CEO of Factora, an online course and community that educates and empowers women to build real wealth together. She's a serial entrepreneur, and her story is going to inspire you. She's a real estate investor, dog lover, and Texan since 2017. She's deeply passionate about helping women learn how to invest in financial freedom, and you are going to get that quickly as you listen into this episode. She brings us through her entire journey from the very beginnings of her career to how she made these small transitions and realized that making a lot of money didn't mean that she had a lot of money. And what she's learned, she's been able to transform into this really empowering company that is changing the game and helping women grow their wealth. She's going to share some inside strategies with you, probably ones that you have not heard on this show before. They're going to be unique, but more importantly, they're going to be uniquely powerful. So let's dive right in and listen to Allegra and how she grew Factorial Wealth. Hey, Allegra, thank you for being on the show today. Hey, Sean, I'm so happy to be here. I have been trying to get you on the show for months, and I'm so excited to share your story. <laughs> well, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for being patient with me. Yeah, Factora is very busy right now, but let's start at the beginning because you were not always in this space. Where did your career start exactly? Well, let's see. My career started in beauty, technically, with a job at the Estee Lauder companies in digital marketing in New York. But it's more fun to say I went from fashion to finance. So that's usually how I put it. Fashion was my initial dream and goal. I mean, maybe the initial career dream was to be on Broadway, but hey, I live near Broadway, so I got close. <laughs> I really wanted to be in New York and be a fashion designer. So I was at the Estee Lauder companies briefly, really only... <sighs> I think it was a little less than two years before I left at 24 to start my own company. So you left your big digital marketing job at 24. That's <laughs> usually when people's careers are just getting started. What prompted you to make such a change at that point? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I was just getting started, but I have never been the right fit for a corporate role. And I found that out blatantly <laughs> when I was at the Estee Lauder companies because I thought it was my dream job to be in marketing, 
and not just marketing, but digital marketing where it was all happening. I mean, this was the beginning of QR codes. This was, I got to go and do our first live tweeting from Fashion Week for one of our beauty brands. And at the same time that it was supposed to be this perfect job and it was on paper, I hated every minute of it. I was a glorified administrative assistant. I'm talking to you about the two cool things that happen. Otherwise, you know, we spent a lot of money hiring marketing companies who did all the creative fun stuff. And I just made sure that the marketing agencies got their remit done. (laughs) So, oh, wow. It just wasn't a fit from the very beginning. I thought when you were on a marketing team, you did marketing. And when you're at a company that big, you really just push paperwork and project manage agencies that are doing the fun stuff. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun at all. So you had a complete shift. So you got out of that business. And is that when you started the company for yourself? Yeah, I left to start what was called AMOA. It was a luxury loungewear brand. I thought that we were going to be, and I mean, we were technically the best fusion between bathrobes and lingerie robes that had ever existed. I thought, especially people living in New York, they need to be able to answer their door and look good without having to get fully dressed. And a lingerie robe is too skimpy and a bathrobe is too bulky and they come in newborn baby colors. So I don't really want to answer the door in (laughs) purple. And so I spent a lot of time building a fabric, learning a lot about the garment industry, went to FIT to take some courses, had to get our materials made in Asia because I learned that we had basically offshored the majority of how we make clothes to the point where all these technical fabrics that you hear about, those are all getting made abroad because we don't have the tooling and machinery required to do so. So I went on a whole educational tour of how to get a garment made and how to construct material. And when it was all said and done, I had this incredible bathrobe that looked like you are a movie star. So we did what's called heat transfer printing. And instead of having a bathrobe that you know, actually dries you, but looks very bulky and frumpy and is usually, you know, white, blue, pink, or purple. You could put anything on them. So I was doing houndstooth and I was doing different paisleys. And I actually fell into the bridal industry because turns out when you're getting married, on average, 17% of the budget is spent on the specialty clothing. So that would obviously include the the dress and the groom's attire, but also specialty items like a set of robes for all your bridesmaids. So then I was making, you know, really beautiful prints for the wedding industry and all custom. And so this was only for, you know, however many bridesmaids you had. So I would do a batch of six or 13 or, and I thought that maybe this could go into bedding and other things down the line, but The company did not make it in the end because I knew nothing about personal finance at the time. So 
really probably the very beginning of Factora came from the moment I cashed out my first 401k because it was the only pot of money I had at the time and I needed access to capital to start this company. So I took a big tax penalty on cashing out of that early and then I ran out of that money and then we had a little bit of investment from some family and friends and then I ran out of that money and then I did the age old go into credit card debt to keep the company afloat while living in New York City. And it really got to the point where I actually couldn't focus on what the company needed because I was so stressed out about the finance financing, not just for I the company, but for my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And really our finances affect everything. So now you're finding yourself in debt and you can't run the company as a result. What was the big thing that you did? I went back to the corporate world begrudgingly, but I did it. And it was, you know, I will say it was a nice break because we are taught in the U.S. that go to school, go to the best school you can, because that'll help you get the best job that you can. And the best job will help you make the most money that you can. And then everything will be fine. (laughs) And there's safety in that. That's kind of the... It um, sounds nice, but it doesn't really turn out that way. (laughs) It sounds like the simplest one, two, three that you can do. And yet a lot of people aren't finding it so easy or so happy, you know, like... For sure. I went back to work and it did feel great to have a paycheck again, a stable paycheck. Actually, this was my first time going into sales. So not only did I have a base salary, which was stable, but I also had some ability to earn as much as I can, right? That's what's so Mm -hmm. exciting about commission and having these sales objectives. I was cruising through them and it was great. So I went from being stressed and in debt to feeling this truly false sense of security, but nonetheless, it felt very secure at the time going Mm -hmm. back to work. And I thought that I was going to be able to go back to work in order to keep the company going. But that was another lesson that I learned young. It's very hard to split your attention between things in general. And so I found that in order to do well at this new job and impress my boss and have quality relationships with my team and do excellent sales work, I really couldn't do all that during the day and come home and figure out how to repair my fledgling startup garment company at night. So I ultimately put AIM away to bed and was just full-time back in the corporate world for a few years before... Before I realized I was grossly underpaid when it came to that base salary level, because I was new at sales, I didn't realize that they had put me at such a low base. And I was making the company a lot of money. And the good thing with sales is you can prove that. It's a number-driven business, so I can show them how much I'm making for them. And so I went and asked for more money, and they basically said, no you're green, you're new at this, you know, you need to serve your time type thing. Wow. And I pushed harder. I did have a boyfriend at the time that helped me with this. And I'm very grateful for this knowledge because I may have given 
up then. I'd never negotiated for more (laughs) before. And he was like, no, you really are in a position. You're making them a lot of money. Like you have way more leverage than you think that you do. So don't just take an immediate no for a complete no. And so I went back and I fought for it and I got it. I got a $25,000 raise in one fell swoop. And I- That's amazing. Yeah. That sounds like a crazy amount of money. It was. The base was only 55,000. 55,000. So, you know, now I'm up at 80 and that made a big difference. The issue that can happen sometimes with commissions is that, you know, all sales jobs say that they can change your commission at any time. And when my base went up, they tried to change my commission structure. And quite frankly, when you realize you've been grossly underpaid, for a while, there's resentment that comes up and sneaks in. And so I knew I wasn't long for that company anyways. So at what point did this brilliant idea for Factora hit you? Right. So step one was make more money for myself and feel so good about standing up for my worth and my value in the workplace. And this was way before anyone was talking about (laughs) gender salary inequity. Like this was before then. I'm so glad that that's a common topic now because it's out there in the light and people can be far more conscious of it. But this was just, this predated that. So I then started telling my girlfriends how they could figure out whether they were in the right bracket for their current role and experience. And if they weren't, how to stand up for their value and get a salary increase. And I was obsessed with doing this just for fun. Like really, it was just so exciting at first to help my friends make as much money as they deserve to and weren't simply because they were women. And then it kind of spiraled into, well, now I'm answering calls of their friends and their friends' friends. And then so I fell into, I like to say, becoming a salary negotiation coach. And so I thought I finally discovered what was going to be my thing, right? What feels better than helping women make more money? Not much. No, not much at all. (laughs) (laughs) But then I saw something I couldn't unsee, which was just because you make more money doesn't mean you have more money. And the first place I could look was with myself. You know, I made that $25,000 raise. What did I do? I went out and got a nicer apartment. I went on a trip. (laughs) I went and got myself a designer bag, which I felt like I deserved. And I'm not saying I didn't deserve it, but that money was spoken for before it ever hit my account. And when I looked at my clients or the women that I was helping, my friends included, every time they made another big chunk, you didn't see it in their savings or investment accounts. And I wasn't even asking about those at the time. But I just realized that every time these women were making more, they were increasing their lifestyle expenses. And so effectively, they didn't have more. (laughs) And so I started to see something I couldn't unsee, which was women didn't really have a strong skill set and what to do with their money in order to keep it and grow it. So great, let's make more of it, but let's not make more of it and then just let it all slip through our fingertips, right? That is when the idea for Factora hit me. 
That's amazing. So what was the first iteration of the business? Okay. So I'm working at that company that I shared about and I'm ready to go. I'd been there for almost three years. I'd been underpaid for (laughs) 80% of it. And I was also a little bored with what I was doing. It was a fashion technology company that had these really cool global events. So I had enjoyed being able to travel to Europe a bunch with this role, but it kind of cycled. So I'd done the events each three times and I was just ready for the next thing. And obviously I was very interested in talking about salary and earning more money and just having conversations with women about money. And I was asking everyone who would tell me, how much do you make? Do you know if it's the right amount, et cetera? But then when it came to the question of like, well, how are you smart with your money? How do you keep it? How do you grow it? Those conversations were really falling flat with my friend group. So I knew I needed to go beyond that. And so I kind of, I just got personally very interested in personal finance and figuring out how to get better with my own and just how to, you know, what's this investing stuff and what should I be doing? How can I grow money? How can I keep it? (laughs) How do people do this? How do you live in New York and have more money than just rent and bills? Like, how do you up level? That's an amazing question. (laughs) How do you live in New York and pay for more than just your bills? It's really, it's not that easy. It's kind of wild. But I did it for a long time. You just kind of make it work, right? It's. I would honestly equate that to it's the same thing that's happening when you make more money and spend more money, right? Like we as humans, we follow Parkinson's law, which is kind of the example of a goldfish. So if you put a goldfish in a small bowl, it'll stay small. If you put it in a bigger bowl, it'll get bigger. We're like that with our bank accounts, right? If we have $5,000 in the checking account, We'll pay our rent, we'll pay our bills, and then we'll spend the rest to the 5000 which is why you don't want to keep that extra money in there. You want to get it out to your savings, out to your investments. Yeah. You need to have a strategy that automates everything away from you because we're our, our own worst enemies. You know, we can obviously find something to spend money on. Marketing has, you know, the target is on women's back. There's no lack of things to buy or do or spend on. So, so anyways, I kind of went on this journey of getting into personal finance podcasts. I was also doing a little bit of, it was the first time I'd been asked to speak on podcasts at the time. I had been asked to speak on the Listen Money Matters podcast about salary negotiation. So I went on that podcast and it was my first one. So I remember listening to it in the shower and it immediately, you know how a podcast will end and then it'll just start playing another episode from that series? Yeah. So it went from my episode to the next episode, which was a woman talking about her financial startup that was all about helping people figure out their money, get goals, set up the right accounts, learn how to invest. I was just so enamored with the concept of this company. So I did what (laughs) probably not most people would do, but I figured out where their offices were and I went there the next day. And she wasn't there, her one employee. I didn't even know. She only had one employee at the time, but she was there. And I said, I have to meet her. 
And then I found a time to meet her and I started working for that company. So before Factora ever existed, I worked for a company that was in this space. I worked for a millennial-focused financial wellness company. And I spent about a year there. I helped that founder raise her seed uh, money. We raised $2 million. And she wasn't really that familiar with the venture space at the time. She was looking into SBA loans. And I was like, no, no, this has venture written all over it. This is scalable. This is exciting. And so I helped get her some introductions. We raised that initial round. And then I decided for my own personal wealth journey that I didn't want to live in New York anymore. Yeah. And you can go a lot further when you're not living in a high cost of living area. I mean, a lot further. And I had already started to know that, but I was really dedicated to this company. But then I also met my now husband and he lived in Austin, Texas. And I was so ready to be out of New York. It was about eight years later from when I had moved there in 2010. And I decided to go. I mean, I wanted to keep my job with that company. But when I went and told the founder that I wanted to do this role from Austin, we also had an expansion plan across the US and Austin was on the roadmap. So this wasn't just like, (laughs) I wasn't moving to the Finger Lakes, you know, like I was going somewhere that we were going to be expanding in. But this is before remote work. It was just a hard no if you're leaving town, you're leaving the company's type situation. So that's crazy. I know it really is. It's it's really a bummer. And I've actually thought about that moment recently a lot because it was a painful moment. I really believed in that mission and yeah. that team and that concept, but it was her choice to discontinue with me. And it was really the right thing that could have happened because I didn't need to move to a whole new city and be focused on my old city, right? I needed to actually move to Austin and be in Austin and of Austin and surrounded by this new city and experiences. So it all worked out fine. And I got here. I knew that I wanted to do something with helping women build wealth from my experience with that company, but also just They were doing a lot that was goal-oriented and savings-based. And I just kept thinking to myself, how are you going to help someone only get a savings account going and bolstered up when in New York, if these people want to buy a house in the future and they're so expensive, like, how are you going to help them catch up? It just didn't feel like enough. Like, I really wanted to focus on investing and wealth building for women. And so I let those words just continue to ping me in the back of my brain. Literally, when people are like, you know, when you first got the job or the idea for Factora, what was it like? And I was like, it was like the most annoying little dinging sensation at the nape of my neck, just saying, you've got to help women build wealth. You've got to help women build wealth, figure out how to help women build wealth. Like there was no concept other than that mission. And because I knew it was going to be some sort of business, even though I didn't know what it would eventually look like. I took a job at a local co-working space because I wanted to get a lay of the entrepreneurship scene. I wanted to meet different mentors in the venture and angel space, and I did. And so I worked there for about a year while I moonlighted 
figuring out how to make Factora come alive. And I love that Seth Godin quote about you just have to ship before you're ready. I was speaking at an event and I knew that I just had to to give myself a timeline and say, hey, I'm doing this thing where I'm going to teach women everything I know about finances and investments, everything that I've applied and just have open conversations with women about money. If you want to do it, let me know. And so I had a month to build a dinky little one-page website. The company was called L Factor originally. That's why we switched it because people were getting it confused with LVS. But I went and just said, hey, at this 150-woman event that I was monitoring, if you're interested in this, let me know. And I got my first eight customers that night. And then we had our first wealth circle in a dark conference room in East Austin in fall of 2018. And the rest is history. Hey there, it's Sharma. I wanted to take a quick break from this amazing episode to remind you that the Startup Renegades is not just a podcast. It's also a community. This community is dedicated to educating and connecting entrepreneurs on all things starting up. There, you'll find some great founder fireside chats, some free webinars, and even some three-day challenges to help you get your marketing and business goals right. You can find us on Facebook at Startup Growth Academy right now. So head on over. It's free to join, and I can't wait to see you there. The rest is history. You've had some explosive growth in just a few years. So let's talk about our growth strategy. So you had those first eight customers and you knew that this was the business. What was your plan or what was the most effective growth strategy in the beginning? (laughs) I'm laughing because I don't think that I had a growth strategy, truly. I think that I applied some of my sales acumen to next steps. I was really just trying to climb the staircase. So I thought to myself, okay, you got eight women to pay you. And the first price was $500. So a well circle today costs $1,800. We've been steadily raising our price ever since, but I'm very proud that we actually had paying customers for what I would call our beta. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll let you trial something for free you're not going to get the same information from a customer if they had access to something for free. There has to be a transaction and it should be a decently large transaction so that they pay attention and that they give it their all so that they can tell you all of what it was not or what they think, right? So just sharing that tidbit for the listeners because that is something that I'm proud of. And it wasn't necessarily part of the growth strategy. But I just thought, okay, I did this once. And now I'm going to take all of these learnings and update the course. And then I'm going to do it again. If I could sell four courses in the next few weeks, then I will quit my job and do this full time. So I basically gave myself a sales quota. (laughs) How scary is that? It is scary. But I mean, Remember when I talked about cashing out of my 401k for the first business? Yeah, absolutely. I did something completely opposite this time. Now I'm in a serious relationship with a partner. I told him I want to start this company. 
and we've had a lot of talks about it. And he really wanted to support me in starting this company. He believed mm. in the mission of helping women build wealth. He believed in the product because the first eight women had loved it. Also, I'm applying everything I knew. And I'd gone from negative 18000 in debt to positive like 100000 at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was encapsulating all of that. And it was just very – it was a really exciting time. But anyways, starting this business – I had six months of an emergency fund that I doubled. And then I also earmarked some of my investment accounts as backup money. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to be completely opposite of that first scenario where I felt like my hands were tied and I had to go back to work. I wanted to not have financial stress lurking around the corner. So I set things up very differently before I quit. But then I also wanted to make sure I had a bunch more customers coming in before I left my job, right? I needed like that social proof of, yes, we want to pay you for this. We want to try this product before I was ready to leave my full-time gig. And it was the best thing I ever did. Because at first I thought, oh, I'll get a part-time job. I'll do that part-time and I'll do this part-time. But that goes back to that energy thing I mentioned. It's really hard to split your attention and your energy between things, especially if there's one that you care about and nothing else is as interesting to you. Yeah, for sure. So you were talking about the growth strategies in the beginning, and you set yourself a very specific sales goal. And I would guess that you hit it. And then, you know, how did you scale this thing up from there? So I hit my goal of filling up four more circles of eight women, quit my job, and then I got really lucky. So I managed to get a partnership with Capital One that (laughs) I didn't deserve. I mean, we were so early on, but I was using all my business development and sales skills. And I had started an event series called Coffee and Coin because my belief was no one's going to pay me to learn about money and investing if they're not even talking about money and investments in their own life, which I already knew women weren't, right? Because my friend group wasn't. Like that's not a topic of conversation that came up. Oh, what are you invested in? Talk to me about your funds. What institutions are you at? No. All the boys are over there talking about, hey, I just got Robin Hood and threw three hundred dollars in this stock. What are you thinking? How's it performing? What's your basis? You know, but that wasn't happening in these women's groups. So I thought I have to get them to talk about money openly and candidly and have a positive experience before they're ever going to pay to talk about it in a room. (laughs) Like no one's going to pay to do something they hate, right? So I had started at a local coffee shop, an event series called Coffee and Coin, where I just interviewed a woman on her financial life, her successes and her setbacks, all of it from her first money memory to what was in her savings account down to the dollar and what investments she had and what her strategies were. And I was doing that on a monthly basis for about five months before Capital One picked it up and decided to try putting three of the coffee and coin events in a local Austin Capital One cafe. And so suddenly these events went from 40 women squeezed into a tiny little room paying five bucks for a coffee to a free event with 150 women in a beautiful room with champagne and brunch being served. So 
that was a big growth thing. That really, Capital One believing in this mission and and our mission, by the way, which I haven't stated, is leading 1 million women to 1 million net worth. And the way we do that is through Wealth Circles, where women come into a three-month course and community all about investing and money mindset because you really have to get your mind right before you can be a quality investor. Yeah. That put a lot of legitimacy to our business. You know, we used to, it used to take us forever to try and explain to somebody what a wall circle was. By the time we were done with our third Capital One coffee and coin event, we had just launched our next wall circle, which we had moved them online to be able to scale them. And we were oversold. We were trying to open up spots. That's awesome. Do you know how you got on their radar in the first place? I mean, having an amazing brand partnership is such a great growth strategy, but getting that brand partnership in the first place is where things get tough. Yes. My network. I went to high school with a woman named Kate Licht. Shout out. And she is someone I will be forever grateful to because she was in a position to say, yes, her company is really small, but I love what they're doing. We're not working with anyone else that's doing something similar. Let's give her a chance. So she was a a woman in my network who totally stood up for us on the inside. I could not have done that partnership without her. I love that so much. That's amazing. Me too. Brand partnerships. That's a great story. And it's such a great success story too. I want to hear about your other growth strategy because this is not your typical marketing growth strategy. And I think it's so important for people to hear. Yes. Well, I'm assuming you're referencing the fact that we don't, we still don't have an official one. We do not look at growth in terms of how much press can we get or how much can we spend on Facebook ads or any of kind of the typical stuff. I mean, we're at the end of the day, a course product, even though we consider ourselves financial empowerment and education company, we're selling an online course. And so there's a lot of examples out there of how to do that and what you should be doing. And some of the people we follow, one of their methods is to write a book because then you can use the book to drum up a lot more eyes on the brand and then be you know, considered more of an expert in the field. I've never sat here and said I'm an expert. I've done the opposite. I've said, look, I tried it. I tried to learn about investing by sitting on Investopedia at night, listening to old stodgy guys and ties that I didn't quite understand what they were saying or feel akin to. And it was really hard to push through that. And when I did it, I was alone in my apartment after a full day's work. I'm tired. And so what I think women really wanted because I want this is a community with support and somewhere you can ask your questions and accountability to make sure that you're understanding this stuff and taking steps to implement your newfound financial strategy dependent on your goals. And so we have focused on the customer from day one. And when I say focus on them, I don't mean just trying to make them happy. Like, (laughs) well, circles are not easy. 
they're not a cakewalk, right? Like there's a you're doing spreadsheets, you're figuring out asset allocation, you're really looking through the investments you already have. A lot of women who come into the wealth circle might already have a 401k, but they don't know what it's invested in. They don't really understand how that peels back and attributes to their potential wealth overall. Like a lot of things are siloed and we take them from confusion to clarity. So we've just focused on customer success this whole time. And that has been our growth strategy. Every time we end a wealth circle, we do an extensive feedback form. You have to do that feedback form in order to continue access to our now 800 50 person Slack community. And that's a gold mine in there with all these women who are growing their net worths so much and opening up these different accounts. Like, you know, there's every topic under the sun when it comes to money in there so that you don't have to go to Google and sit online with so many different pieces of advice that you're not exactly sure how they apply to you or call up. And I'm not kidding, when I used to take every single phone call of a woman who was going to come into a wall circle, I would ask them, where do you currently get your financial advice? And it was one of two answers, Google or my dad. And it's like, okay, well, your dad may have had a pension. (laughs) Those don't exist anymore. Your dad may have worked at one, maybe two or three jobs over their entire career span. Things are different. And so finances need to be considered in today's day and age, you know, not in your dad's context. So anyways, point being, we have an extensive feedback survey that people take. I'm very proud to say we have an extremely high NPS score, higher than Costco's. (laughs) And so every time we get those results, we go back to the well circle and wherever there may have been some confusion or opportunities to make the course better, to make investing clearer, to help women further their finances faster, we take three to four months and we inject that before the next wealth circle. That has been our growth strategy. That's amazing. And you have another wealth circle coming up, right? Yes. We're we're in one right now. So we have a wealth circle happening this fall that got started in September with 400 women in it. And the next one will be in February of next year, which we call it our spring wall circle. So we run one in the spring and one in the fall. So when this episode goes live at the beginning of January, where can people find you if they're interested in joining this next wall circle? Yeah, definitely. They can go to factorawealth.com and learn everything about the wealth circle there, or they can go to our Instagram, which is at factora underscore wealth. And we have a plethora of information there, as well as that event series I mentioned, we turned it into a podcast (laughs) during the pandemic. So you can also listen to our coffee and coin episodes at anywhere that you get your podcasts. I love that. Allegra, thank you so much for being here. I have one final question for you. What does being a startup renegade mean to you? It means (laughs) (laughs) come in with a hard question right at the end to throw you off. It's a great question. No, what immediately came to mind is that it means making daily decisions, oftentimes difficult decisions with limited information, Mm -hmm. which is actually just what life is. Yeah, that's so true. 
Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, listeners. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade.